I'm going to quote the scripture that we've been doing out of Luke chapter 15. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've been in a series called Home, and throughout the series called Home, I did a message a, a few weeks back, and uh, probably about five weeks ago now, and it talked about um, where Noah had three sons, and there was a curse following one of his sons for 12 generations, and he did not know it. He was building houses and empires in the land of Canaan. He was building this massive empire, but he didn't realize he had a curse following him. And I so wanted to incorporate this message I'm about to do this morning somewhere in the middle of that series, but it just didn't work out. But God gave us the opportunity to hear it this morning. And so this morning's message is called Home, which is the series we're in. The title of it is Next Generation. Next Generation is the title of this morning's message. And we know that the verse of scripture we've been using is Luke chapter 15, verse 31. And Jesus is talking and he said, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. And I pray this morning that you would come to the realization that you are in the house of the Father and he's made covenant with you and you are his son and you are his daughter. And he's looking at us this morning and saying, Joel, you're my son. You've always been with me and all that I have is yours. And we walk in the fullness of what sonship is truly about even here this morning. This morning as we jump into this message, I want to encourage you that it doesn't matter what age you are in this sanctuary this morning. It does not matter how old you are in this sanctuary this morning. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, this is a child dedication service and my kids are grown, my grandbabies are grown, I'm about to have great, great grandbabies. Listen, can I tell you that God never gave up on a primetime generation, amen? God never gave up on a primetime generation. And if you're wondering what primetime is, it's the people that I call primetime are 50 years and older. 50 years and older because most of your kids are out of the house and y'all are saying, thank you, Jesus. You're financially in a place that you can do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And you have this unlimited opportunity, this unlimited potential. But for some reason, when we hit 50 in America, we think our life is ending when in fact your life is probably just beginning. Amen. You got wisdom from 50 years, a half of a century on your side. You know the goods, the bads, the ups and downs in life. And we got this other generation of me <laughs> and the younger ones sitting here thinking, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Listen, we need this prime time generation to embrace what I'm about to talk about this morning. Caleb, when he was, um, in, not my son Caleb, Caleb in the Bible when, when he was about to, they were, they were entering the promised land, and he did all the work, and they inhabited the lands, and they conquered territories, and they kept conquering and conquering. And finally, Caleb, the man in the Bible, went up to Joshua, and Joshua said, and he said, Joshua, I am 80 years old, but I am as strong as I was when I explored these mountains years ago. It's time for you to give me my mountain that I was promised. Some of you who are 50 years and older, you need to rise up with the spirit of faith and say, it's time that I get my mountain. These promises of God, they're not for the future anymore. My future is now, and I'm declaring by faith, give me my mountain. Now listen, Moses spent 40 years under the, 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 the greatest education system in all of Egypt. He spent another 40 years in the desert figuring out how to navigate the things of the desert. So when he was 80 years old, God just now started with Moses. Come on now. So those of you who are 50 plus thinking this message does not apply to you, it's time that you don't say, give me my mountain. It's time you say, give me this next generation because I got something to give to them. I got something to impart into them. I've got something to let them have so that it'll change the society and the culture that we live in. Do not give up on yourself thinking time has passed you by because the fact of the matter is if you are prime time and 50 plus, get ready, you're in the prime of your life. 
And it's going to be what you make of it from this day forward. I want to encourage you as we begin this morning in Exodus chapter number 20, verses 2 through 6. As you're turning there, I want to read to you a scripture out of Matthew chapter 6, 19. You find Exodus chapter number 20, verse 2 through 6. And Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal, where moths cannot come in, where vermin cannot destroy, and you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, the Bible says. A lot of times we think of this as just doing good deeds, doing the right thing at the right time. No, it's doing the God thing all the time. See, as a Christian, it's not about doing the right thing at the right time. It's about doing the God thing all the time. And so as we begin to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, I want to encourage you as you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven starting this morning, that those treasures that you're storing up in heaven, the Bible calls them blessings or sure mercies in some versions of the Bible that will not just die with you, but they'll follow your generations for not just one generation, not just two generations, not just three generations, not just four generations, but God said to those who love me, <laughs> come on now, to those who love me for a thousand generations, I will show my love and I will show my mercy and I will show compassion to them. So what you're doing today is not in vain. In fact, you're storing up something very biblical. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Can I get an amen? amen. He brought you out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen, I want to explain that. There's been a lot of misinterpretation on that. God's love for you is so great. The only word that our translation in the English language could phrase it as is jealous. Now, we always have a negative connotation with the word jealous. God said, I am so jealous for you and I love you so much, I'm going to do John 3.16 and give you my one and only son to win you back. I'm so loved with you. I'm so jealous for you. And it's not an ugly jealousy. It's not a vindictive, manipulative jealousy. It's a jealousy that says, I am in so in love with you that you are mine. I'm giving up all of heaven to get you back. So when it says, I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, it's not what you see on Lifetime movies. Come on now. Some of y'all watch Lifetime Channel too much. And you, when you hear, I'm the Lord, you got a jealous God, you think God is a stalker. God is a manipulative God. God is somebody who's going to hunt you down and punish you for all your bad deeds. And he says, I'm a God who loves you so much that I'll give all of heaven to get you back. So I am the Lord, your God, a jealous God. To those who are not in covenant, get this, visiting the iniquities of their fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, that means they're not in covenant, but showing steadfast love and mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I want to tell you a true story of two men this morning to start this message out. It's a story of two men, and as I begin this morning, one man's name is Max Jukes. These men lived in the 1800s, and I want you to listen to their story, listen to their lineage, listen to their heritage and, and what they left. Max Jukes was an ungodly man, 
and he married an ungodly woman. Can I tell you, too, ungodliness doesn't make a godliness, amen? It goes exponential the other direction. Some of y'all think two wrongs make a right, and it doesn't, okay? So he married an ungodly woman, and he was an ungodly man. He had 560 known descendants. 300 of them died below the poverty level. 150 were womanizers, troublemakers, in and out of jail, and hated by their communities. 100 of them were drunkards. More than half of the women of his descendants were known prostitutes. 17 were convicted murderers, and they cost the United States or $1.25 million in the 1800s imprisonment and rehabilitation. This is the 1800s. You may as well multiply that times 50 of what it would cost today. I don't know about you, but I don't know one parent that grows up and says, I hope half my kids' descendants are prostitutes. I don't know about you, but I don't know one adult in this room who grows up and says, I hope half my descendants get, are murderers. I hope 100 of them are drunkards. I hope another 350 of them cost the government this, and I hope 100 of them are hated by the community. I don't know of one person in this room who has those aspirations for their descendants. But the iniquity of Max Jukes followed his descendants because he was not in covenant with the Father for several generations, and this was the outcome of one ungodly man in the United States of America in the 1800s. But, oh, God said in Exodus 20, verse 6, but showing steadfast love and mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me and keeps my commands. There was a man named Jonathan Edwards as well, lived in the same time period as Max Jukes. Jonathan Edwards was a godly man, and he married a godly woman. Can I tell you, when two godly people get together, it goes exponential as well, Amen. A godly man married a godly woman. His descendants were, as Max Jukes' descendants were 560, his descendants were 1,394, nearly three times that of Max Jukes. See, the blessing of God was on his household. And you know God's blessing on your life is your kids. Okay? God's blessing on your life is your kids. And so he had nearly three times that of the ungodly man. 295 of his kids were college graduates. 65 were college professors. Three were U.S. senators. Three were state governors. 30 of them were judges. One was the dean of a law school. 56 were practicing physicians. 75 were military author, or excuse me, 75 were military officers. 100 were well-known missionaries, teachers, and authors. 80 of them were public officials. One was the controller of the United States Treasury. One became vice president of the United States. And they did not cost the United States of America and their government one penny of the lifetime of their descendants can I tell you you're storing up one thing or you're storing up another but God said to those who love me for a thousand generations I will show mercy and love to those who love me as we begin this morning I want to talk to you about doing one thing it's called storing up mercy or storing up blessing for the descendants that are following you for the ones behind you. And so this morning, in about 15 minutes, you as an adult in this room are going to be called to make a decision. Will you make a dedicated, committed decision before the Father this morning to say, I will no longer let my kids walk in the iniquities that I've been doing, but I make a change in my lifetime right here today, and I begin to change my bloodline. And I begin to change what I've been doing so the mercies of the Father, the blessing of the Father 
will not just start with me, but they'll continue through the generations after me for a thousand generations to those who love me. Some of y'all, we can't even fathom this in America because we are so family-oriented in one-generation mindset, okay? We're so big of me and Sherry, Caleb, and Aaron, we're a family. It's not what it was like in Bible times. It was grandparents, parents, us, kids, and even necessarily grandkids as a family. And this is what they began to do. They began to establish massive families throughout their lifetime, throughout their history. And as that they would establish massive families, the blessing of God would be upon their family or the iniquity of the Father would be upon their family. I want to prove this to you because if um, back in the Old Testament, if Abram, who became Abraham, would not have messed around with a slave woman, we would have never had Ishmael and we would never have the war and conflict in the Middle East that we have today. It's a thousand generations. We're still dealing with the repercussions of Abraham because he got out of faith and had a baby with a servant woman, and that son's name was Ishmael, and it says you will be a wild of a man all the days of your life. <laughs> and then he got back into faith in the covenant, and the son of faith was born Isaac, and we got Jesus Christ through him. Amen. And we got Jesus Christ through him. And from that day forward, the blessings of God had been opened up like never before. I want to tell you this, lineage is where you came from. Some of you have a horrible lineage. Joel, I don't have a family like yours. I, you don't. I'm sorry. I got the greatest family in the world. Sorry you got shafted, okay? It really is. My parents are great. My mother-in-law is amazing. My grandparents are still alive. They're awesome. I mean, my grandmother, we talk once a month, and, and I love her dearly. My other grandmother, she's still alive, doing well. I got the greatest family in the world. I'm sorry you got shafted. Sorry about that. Change your bloodline. Change it. It's time for you to make a change this morning. Lineage is about where you came from. I praise God for a lineage. But more than that, legacy is about what you're leaving. See, you can change your lineage by you starting a legacy. Lineage is where you came from. Legacy is about what I'm going to make today is a decision that's going to change the rest of the course of my family's history. So lineage is where you came from. Legacy is about what you're about to do and make a decision on. King David in Psalm 112, the Bible says this, that King David, when he was storing up all the things for Solomon to build the temple because he could not build it, the, 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 the statistics are that he stored up 90% of the cost of what it would take to build the temple. Back in his day, that would have been close to $80 million that King David stored up for his son Solomon. And he said, the generations of the righteous are blessed. The generations of the righteous are blessed. And it says, wealth and blessing will be in their household. David took that to heart. And he said, me being a man who's causing a change, who everything changes from my family being sheep herders, from my daddy Jesse to us being king of nations, changes with me. And he began to walk in the power of God. And David began to store up mercies or blessings for his family. And listen to this about King David. He didn't just store them up for himself and he didn't just live a great life, but he passed it on to his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids, so much so that God throughout the Old Testament calls into remembrance of why he did not destroy Israel because of his servant David. 
because of his servant David. I want you to listen to some of these accounts in Scripture and how David began to pass on blessings or mercies for his family. Listen, 11 years after King David died, Solomon was dedicating the temple to the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles 6.42, Solomon says this, Remember the great mercy you promised to your servant David. See, Solomon didn't go before God and say, remember what you promised me. No, he said, remember the great mercy you promised to your servant David. When he prayed that prayer of consecration, they had the greatest outpouring up to that date of the power of God. That the glory of God fell. The ministers could not minister by course. There was such great celebration as they dedicated the temple that Solomon built to the father. But it was done because of the father's promise to David, not the father's promise to Solomon. See, I want God to make promises to me that he'll fulfill in my children, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren who may not ever remember my name, but God can appear to them one night and say, not because of you, but because of your great-great-great-great-great-granddad who decided to take a step of faith, you're where you're at today. You're walking in the mercies of generations prior to you. Just as King David and King Solomon did. He goes on a little bit later in life, and 23 years later, after David died, God was about to bring judgment on King Solomon for all the wives and idols that he had uh, built up in the area of Jerusalem and even in the house of God. And again, God comes to King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 12, and God said this to Solomon, I should take the throne from you, nevertheless, for the sake of David, I will not do it during your lifetime. Hmm. Wouldn't that be great? As if three generations down the line, your great-great-grandchildren got messed up into something. And God showed up to them and said, not because you deserve this, but because of your great-great-grandfather or your great-great-grandmother who lived righteously before me. I'm sparing the consequences because she or he Stored up blessing and mercy that's following you for a thousand generations. See, wouldn't it be so great to start something in your lifetime that your grandkids couldn't outrun it? That your grandkids couldn't get away from it? That the power of God rested on it so much that you ain't even got to worry about being a praying grandmother anymore because you started so much blessing that they're going to come upon your grandchildren and overtake your grandchildren and they're going to be walking in the power of God because you decided to make right decisions here at TWBC this morning. I don't know about you, but I get excited about this message because my grandbabies and great-grandbabies and great-great-grandbabies that I'm going to live to see that I ain't even got yet, they're going to be walking in such an anointing that you think Elijah and Elisha gave double portions. Get ready. You ain't seen nothing yet from my great-grandbabies. Listen, I'm already praying for them. They don't have, they don't have a chance. <laughs> they're going to walk in power because I'm already lifting them up. And I know God's going to do something amazing in their life. And in 57 years, 57 years after David died, Abijah became king. He continued to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says. And in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 4, the, 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 God speaks to them and says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him the lamp of Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Even when ungodliness got on the throne, God still was honoring his promises to his servant David who died 57 years prior to this man coming into power. 
And you know where God's blessing is? His anointing's got to show up as well. So when his blessing began to still rest in Jerusalem, the city of David, the anointing rested there as well. See, God will make a way where you think there is no way. He'll show up when you think he can't show up. Because not because of what great things you've done, but, but I believe there's people who are prior to you, who've been praying for you. And if there haven't been, I got good news for you here in just a second. Because you can change it all. And listen, when you get in the power and the blessing of God's bloodlines just won't run down, they begin to run back upstream as well. So if you got a lineage that ain't godly and you have nobody who's prayed for you ever and you're, and you're breaking the mold of your family, stand strong. Keep believing. Quit worrying about the naysayers and quit worrying about the culture that you live in. Stand strong before the power and anointing of God. And watch this. When you begin to do it here, it's going to begin to flow downstream. But the power of God can make it flow back upstream to your living descendants as well. Listen to this. Everybody say 305. 305 years after King David died, this, 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 this one starts to blow my mind. 305 years after King David died, King Hezekiah was on the throne. He was about to be overthrown by the Assyrian army, and he cried out to God. He asked for help. That night, God came on the scene, killed 180,000 Assyrian soldiers, and destroyed their army. And Hezekiah asked God why he showed up in such a miraculous way after all these years. And God answered him like this in 2 Kings 19.34. He said, I defended this city and I saved it for the sake of my servant David. Now, now, come on. If you want to talk about David doing such amazing things before God, I know David messed up. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And what that means, it didn't matter how many times he fell, he got right back up and got back in the presence of God. He did whatever it took to make right relationship come with the Father. He even prayed a prayer that says, God, whatever it takes, don't take your spirit from me. He said, don't take it from me. He said, what sacrifice can I give? And listen, there was no sacrifice that he could give for his adultery with Bathsheba. So he said this, a broken heart and a contrite spirit is all that I have to offer you. He said, repentance is all that I have to offer. Don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me. If you're in this house this morning and you've messed up so bad that I couldn't even fathom what you've messed up on, do this. Come before God because there's nothing earthly you can do. But the Bible says when we come before him with a repentant heart, the blood of Jesus is more than enough. And God sees the blood of Jesus and he covers your sin and he's forgiven it and he destroyed the power of it on, their, on your life. Listen, this is so key to some of you this morning. Some of you have sinned, but you have not let the all-powerful blood of Jesus destroy the power over that sin and you still live in condemnation of things you did 20 and 30 years ago that it's in the so far back in your deepest, darkest corner of your closet. Nobody even knows about it. But that power of that sin is still being held over your life because you haven't let go of it and let God and his all-powerful blood transform you in the midst of your problem. Listen, I don't care what you've done in the past. The blood of Jesus is greater. I don't care what you've done throughout the course of your life. The blood of Jesus is greater. And when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved, born again, blood-bought, washed in the blood of the Lamb. But it's up to you to trust that the blood is more powerful than that sin. Because if you don't, you're going to still live carrying the burden of that sin. And listen, when you carry the burden of your sin after God has already said you've been forgiven, listen to this, you now have become God of your life. 
Because God says, if I've forgiven you and you can't forgive yourself, you're saying you're greater than me. So some of you need to learn to forgive yourself. Well, I still feel guilty. Let go of it. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the shame. The blood of Jesus is greater. I'm not saying you're perfect and you got to be from this day out. But I am saying, like David did, there's no sacrifice he could made for the sin that he could for, that, for the sin he committed. So he came and said, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, God, do not take your spirit from me. But instead, he cried out to the Father, and you know what? The Father, for an old covenant man with the blood of a goat came back into David's life, and he began to store up mercies again. How much more powerful is the blood of Jesus on your life that your sin hasn't just been forgiven? The power of it's been destroyed over your life. The power of the sin has been destroyed, not just forgiven. 305 years after David died, God appeared to Hezekiah. And said, not for your sake did I save the city, but for my sake and the sake of my servant David. Isn't it so amazing that one man can have such a powerful covenant with God that 305 years later, God's still showing up to descendants that just dream about who David was and said, listen, I'm showing up because David was real. We got in on a covenant and because of me and him, your blessings are here. See, God doesn't need a lot in the natural. He just needs an avenue to it. And if you'll be that avenue to it, it doesn't stop with you. It goes for a thousand generations to those who love him. When I stand here this morning, and some of you think, why are you so passionate about this? I'm not just passionate about the next generation. I'm passionate and grateful for the generations that have gone on before me. I'm not just passionate about uh, the, the rage kids, and I'm not just passionate about TWBC kids, but I'm so passionate about this message because I'm not here because Joel did so dadgum good. If I was here because Joel did so dadgum good, this place would be an absolute wreck. It's the mercy and the grace of God that has been stored up for generations before me that we're getting to receive the blessing on. And so I stand before you not as a proud pastor, but as one of the most humble people you'll ever meet because I know it's not because of me. I just said, God, but because of everybody who's done things before me, God, if you can use me in some way, do it because I don't want the mercies to stop with me. I want them to go on for a thousand generations. And God has begun to move. And a little bit about my story. My great, great Great-grandparents, a few years back when I first did this message, I called my grandmother in Michigan, my dad's mom in Michigan, and I said, Grandma, tell me back as far as you can remember. Some of you need to do this with your oldest living relative. You need to go sit in the nursing home with them and, and ask for forgiveness that you don't visit them more often. And you need to say, tell me the story of my life. And they'll begin to talk about you and say, no, 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 no. As far back as you can remember. And if you ever want to see a smile come on somebody's face. Don't let them tell, them, tell you about your life. Have them tell you about their life. And my great, 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 great grandparents. My grandmother said, I, I don't remember them that well. But all I ever heard was they were some of the most godly people that you would ever know. They were godly people, and they lived right before the Lord. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of things. But, Joel, they lived right before the Lord. And I said, well, Grandma, tell me about uh, my great-great-grandparents. And she said, oh, I know them well. And she said, they were known, Joel, for memorizing Scripture. 
They would read the Bible so much they would just begin to memorize Scripture and they would quote it day in and day out and they would teach it to their kids and they would teach it to us. And I said, Grandma, tell me about your great-grandparents. And she said, Joel, I'll never forget they had devotions morning, noon, and night and they never stopped. They were always in the presence of the Father. And I said, Grandma, tell me about your, your grandparents. And she said, they were praying people. And every day they would, pr- they, they would begin to pray. And, and so she began to go down the lineage. And now we get down to me where I'm asking Grandma, Tell me about your life. And as I began to listen to my grandmother tell me about what she did in her private devotional life, she began to tell us this. She began to say, Joel, every night, me and your granddad, before he passed, me and your granddad will sit down and at night we'll pray for our kids by name. And we'll pray for their spouses by name. And Joel, we don't just pray for our kids and their spouses by name. We call out every one of our grandkids by name and every one of our great-grandkids by name. And we bring every one of them before the Father every single day. That's my grandparents. I love them. And then my parents took a huge step of faith back when I was six years old. Things didn't go right with their careers up in Michigan, and they took a big step of faith, and they moved down 1,800 miles to a little city called Sulphur Springs, Texas. And I've been here ever since. And we didn't have a lot of money. We came down here broke as could be. Dad always said we, had, we, we couldn't even pay attention. We were so broke. And my parents were broke as could be with a four-door beat-up car and a rider truck Everything that we had and all we owned in life was in those two vehicles, family included. And it was mom and dad and Jeff and Brian, my middle brother, and me and my younger sister, Tara. And we all came down here. Tara just turned four right after we, right after we got here. Middle of January. We thought we were summertime. It's 60 degrees in January. We asked mom and dad if we could wear shorts. And they were like, no, it's still wintertime down here. We came from Michigan. We left in snow. I mean, the little high sea fruit packs we had were frozen. It was so cold outside. And we made it down here. And my parents found a job. But more than that, they found a place to plant our family in a church. And it was religious. And when I say religious, I mean it was, it was like clockwork. We were always at the church house, the house of God, whenever the doors opened. Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and Wednesday night for kids' activity. And my dad worked his rear off. He'd get up before the sun came up, and he would come home after dark. And he'd be a, a mess because of the, the career that he had on, on the, the dairy farms, doing a hay business with all those people. And he would come home a, a, a mess. And mom would get up early and fix us all breakfast. But it didn't matter what time in the morning I would get up. I would walk in the kitchen, and mom would be reading her Bible every single morning. And my parents didn't teach me to read the Bible. They showed me what it was like to be a believer. That sometimes you got to get up before the sun comes up because you got a full schedule ahead of the day. And dad, it didn't matter how long he worked during the day and how hot the summer days were or how cold the winter days were. He would come home and every single night he would push aside time and he would read the word of God every single night. See, it doesn't matter when you read the Bible. What matters is that you do read the Bible. And if you got to get up at 530 in the morning to read it, read it. Because they began to store up blessing every single day of my life as they would read the Bible. Dad said it didn't matter how late he had to stay up. He would read the word of God and he would study the word of God. And I'm refraining from looking at him so I don't cry. Okay, so if you're wondering that. And so they would read the word of God, and they didn't just live, they lived the gospel in front of us. Did they do everything perfect? No, but did they do their very best? Absolutely. And so now 
I, I got to consider myself an adult. <laughs> and I began to think, when my kids get older, what will they remember about their daddy? I don't want them to remember their daddy was a preacher who preached on Sunday morning. I want them to remember the stories of like my mom. That doesn't matter how early they would get up, they see daddy in the chair reading his Bible. And it doesn't matter what time they go to bed, it's daddy who sits down on the bed with them and opens up their devotion book and we read a devotion every night and I begin to pray over my kids. And I pray this, I love you always and forever no matter what. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and God has great and mighty plans for you. You'll be mighty on the earth. The blood of Jesus covers you. The angels of God surround you. You're, you're healed and made whole in Jesus' name. You have the favor and blessing of God on your life and no weapon formed against you can prosper. You'll be a leader among this generation and the next. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're an anointed man of God. You're bold. You're obedient. You're confident and you are not afraid. I want my kids when they get older and they go off to college to remember that daddy, no matter what, prayed that prayer over their life every night and they don't have a choice but to walk in the blessing and the power of God for their life. This morning, is it easy? Absolutely not. Getting up sometimes is not the easiest thing to do. But I'm going to live Jesus in front of my kids to an extent that they don't know any other way that daddy lives but fully empowered by the Spirit of God. Your life this morning is different. And that's my side of the family. And on Sherry's side of the family, I always say I didn't have a choice to be a pastor because her granddad was a pastor, her dad was a pastor, her uncle was a pastor. She's got another uncle who's a missionary. She's got two cousins that are missionaries. And she's got an uncle on her mom's side that's a pastor as well. I didn't have a choice but to fall on this role if I was marrying her. <laughs> Amen. So all the, 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 the great blessings I believe that, 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 that you see in this church are not because Joel did such a great job by any means. It's because I didn't have a choice. The blessings of the Father keep rolling over, and they keep rolling over, and they keep rolling over. And when it gets to me, it's not going to stop. I pray that it doesn't just roll over like a wave. I pray it becomes a tidal wave. I pray it becomes a tsunami that crashes against a, a society and begins to transform a society because... It had an encounter with something different. And some of you are saying, Pastor, that's great for you, but my lineage doesn't match up yours at all. But listen to this story. It's one more. When King Saul did evil in the eyes of the Lord, he had a son, Jonathan. And when King Saul died, Jonathan said this in 2 Samuel 9.1. David asked, because David and Jonathan were best friends, and Jonathan protected David, and Jonathan saved David's life. In 2 Samuel 9, 1, David asked, Is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan that I can show mercy to for Jonathan's sake? That, 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 that flips the scripts on everything that we know. Because King Saul was the head of his house. But King Saul, remember, was an ungodly king. And he, the throne was rejected from King Saul, and King David rose up and became king. But King David and King Saul's son Jonathan were best friends. And when King David rose to power and after King Saul died, Jonathan said, I, or David said, I will not forget. 
I will not forget the great things that my friend Jonathan did for me. So he said, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan, not King Saul, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan that I can show mercy to? And sure enough, he had one son, and he was crippled in both feet, and his name was Mephibosheth, and they found him in a place called Lodabar, which means the trash dump. And they found this young man in the trash dump, and they picked him up out of the trash dump, and they carried him to the king's palace. And when they brought him before the king, I'm sure Mephibosheth, thought he was going to get executed, but they brought him before the king, and King David, in my imagination, would have knelt down and said, Mephibosheth, not for your sake, but for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I show you great mercy of the kingdom, and he... And listen, I show you great mercy of the kingdom. And when he did that, he said, Mephibosheth, I restore to you all of your father's land. And you're not going to live on the land. I'm giving you servants to farm the land. You will stay in my house and eat at my table all the days of your life. If you don't have a lineage like I have, and you're not blessed like I've been to have one of the greatest families that I believe have ever lived, if you don't have that lineage coming to you, it's time that you start a new legacy because there will be somebody one day visiting your kids or your great-grandkids that says, not for your sake, but for the sake of you because you made a decision. I'm going to show mercy to your kids, and they will sit before kings. Come on, some of y'all need to receive that. They will sit before kings because of your obedience. Because of your obedience. This morning, it's your time to make a decision. It's your turn. As it is deathly quiet across this sanctuary, there's a heavy weight resting on you. And it's not a heavy burden that says, if you don't, everything's bad, or if you do, everything's good. It's the weight of your legacy. What are the next 1,000 years of your family going to look like? And it starts by one simple decision today. Not even that you're going to live for God as good as you can forever. It's you're going to live in the fullness of what he has for you today.